0: literary podcast, the only book club podcast that thinks, listen, it's tough to say the truth like this, Amanda, but Olympic swimming is boring. I'm sorry. I think watching professional <laughs> swimming is really, really boring, and I don't make the rules. I, I'm just here to speak truth. Our podcast, as you know, is on the truth, OAN network, truth, truth network, no, <laughs> Take it, taking it too far. No, but I, yeah, I don't know. Do you enjoy watching Olympic swimming? No, um, I don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's got to be one of the biggest disconnects between thrill of an event versus like and prestige of athlete versus thrill of an event, I think is what I'm trying to say. Cuz mm-hmm. the athleticism is undeniable. You look at oh, those sure. you look at those chiseled greek statuesque bodies and it's uh, it's crazy i mean those are like you can't really carve more of an athlete out of a person than professional swimmers mm-hmm. but and they've tried to do these things i remember in the last olympics they try to do these things with the camera now where they put it on the sidelines they have it move with them try and give it some mm-hmm. I don't know dynamism or fun or something it's so boring to watch swimming it's so boring i just can't get over it <laughs> but i'm biased i guess
1: do you have any favorite olympic events um i no no not really um yeah yeah winter events like one of my favorite things to watch is curling i don't Mm. know why but i just find it very soothing to watch
0: (laughs) yeah it's kind of a meditative one and you can see the teamwork and the scrubbing and yeah it's very active Mm -hmm. it's tough though i as someone who loves soccer and has watched it followed professional leagues for many years it's always tough to speak to any other, you know, American sports fan about boring sports, because I think for a lot of Americans, that's their number one boring sport. So (laughs) I won't disparage swimming too much. If you have no idea why we're hating on Olympic swimming, that is because you have found a Lightly Literary Book Club podcast episodes. This is a book club episode. These are our analytical deep dive episodes. Today we'll be discussing the first half of the novel, The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. You know, a name that I just realized I didn't look up. Do you think it's Haig, Matt Haig, or Haig?
1: Oh, that's a good, I, In my mind, I've been pronouncing it Hague, but okay.
0: Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> well, either or, we'll look it up after. Put it in post production. Our our podcast producer can fix that later. Travis, go ahead and <laughs> talk to myself. Uh, If you've never listened to the podcast before, welcome. You found a decent place to start, though maybe not the perfect one if you haven't read this book. Uh, We appreciate social media follows at all of our accounts. Right now we have Facebook and Instagram accounts under our title, so it's just at uh, at the Lightly Literary Podcast. Rather, one word, so at the Lightly Literary Podcast. Give us a follow on there. We post updates. To the schedule, schedule um, some drawings that I do to promote the books, and uh, it'll keep you in the know as to what we're reading and, and planning to read. So we also post kind of future books on there, too. So check us out there. Again, it's a book club episode, Amanda, so we'll be spoiling the first half of this book in pretty good detail and depth. We're going from my copy, I think it's yeah, pages 1 to 143 or 4, or until the chapter Expectation. Um, this, this book has a ton of really short chapters, it's kind of the, the flow of it, and, th- and they're all named something unique, so we can't give you a number, but we will be concluding our discussion at the one titled Expectation. So... Um, any any thoughts on this before we kind of jump in I guess I chose it so I can't pose that question to you
1: <laughs> yeah you did choose it <laughs> I did
0: I did this is I caved to the the online literary kind of Illuminati because this book has a bajillion Goodreads reviews. It it makes its way into same with Amazon, ton of Amazon reviews, and makes its way into kind of internet book circles a lot. As it seems very popular online, I guess we'd say. And so, yeah, this when I when I was looking for something fantastical but not fantasy heavy, because I you know I don't want to bring really traditional heavy hefty fantasy into the podcast all the time, not necessarily anyway. And so I I wanted something a little bit maybe. Not fun, because this book isn't light, which we'll get to in a second. But yeah, something fantastical for sure. Something... I don't know pretty open and imaginative Uh, a couple content warnings which i'll now try and include at the top here whenever i remember to put them in or wherever we think they deserve them Uh, this is just a book about committing suicide and the ramifications of it the reasons that a person would do it and then maybe perhaps we'll see how the second half goes if you haven't read the reasons they maybe shouldn't Uh, that also includes drug overdose and drug abuse and depression too so warnings for those things The, the premise of this book is quite literally a a suicide. So you can't really can't get around that one. It's kind of the crux or premise of the book. Any other warnings you think? Did I leave anything out?
1: No, I think that was it. Okay. There's nothing overly yeah, It's actually yeah.
0: pretty tame in a lot of ways too <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Or straightforward maybe is a better word So yeah but those, those are in there for folks Who, who do not want to continue um, And like I said to new listeners If you haven't read this book maybe hit pause At this point we do have a book review at this point In the feed posted so check out our book review Or recommendation uh, You can always listen to that spoiler free Or you know just come back when you've read the first half And you're ready for us to dive deep and spoil it Because we'll be spoiling everything from here on out Amanda you feel ready? I'm ready. All right. Is the is the little one ready as well?
1: Yeah, she's um, grunting her... I'm assuming the grunts are for the approval and Fantastic. not for poop.
0: And you know what? Sometimes you can hit both at the same time. There's many, <laughs> many true. purposes that a grunt can fulfill. <laughs> many, many simultaneous, sometimes, purposes. All right. Let's jump into our first seg- section here. We're going to go through and do a kind of plot summary with analysis sprinkled in. So let's crack this book open, Uh, this novel opens with two things pretty much in your face that you have to know, the main character, Nora Seed, Uh, has just suffered some kind of unknown tragedy as a kid. It starts when she's kind of young and something really bad has just happened. And then you flash forward and you know that as an adult she's going to die in 24 hours. So it's a pretty bleak start for Nora. Uh, We later learn for the former that when she's a kid her father tragically passes away when she's at a young age. So that's what that references to. They they get to that later. But back in the present she's I think a 34 or 5 year old adult. Her life is kind of slowly, begrudgingly spiraling out of control. It's not not exactly chaotic spiral, but kind of a slow—I don't know—sloping spiral out of control. Uh, her cat dies quite suddenly, uh, so that's tragedy number one. Did that? Did that hit you? Was that too?
1: Was that egregious? <laughs> I was very, very heartbroken about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it comes back to play later as well. <laughs> it does. It does. So that's kind of what kicks
0: things off. She's living kind of a quiet life that she's dissatisfied with. But that's tragedy number one. So that happens. She's then later, I think the same day, late to and fired from her very mediocre job at a music shop that she does not like and doesn't really have a knack for, doesn't really care about, just sort of doing it to do it for... I don't know, to occupy herself and pay bills, I I presume. But she hates it, and she, you know, leaves it. She also, it's revealed kind of slowly, but she has regrets of a broken-off engagement. She references a text message she got from her. I think his name's David or something like that. We'll get to him later. David um, so she references that that there's this disappointing engagement that was broken off some time in the past and also a creative endeavor that failed she meets up with a former bandmate on the same day and they kind of hash out their past and it's very awkward there's conflict they had a promising band that she kind of abandoned because of anxiety issues um, so we really get in a, a few chapters just a litany of her life's issues and problems The cat event kind of pushes her over the top, though. Um, A few other things happen. Events kind of trigger her and amplify her depression, I suppose. I don't know if that's the clinical term for it, but certainly worsens. And then she decides to commit suicide. So she pens a kind of farewell note or goodbye note. I forget if there's a term for that, but she pens a note, puts it next to herself, and then uh, overdoses on pills. And that's where this first section kind of stops. Um, did anything jump out in the first section to you, stylistically, or just in terms of the story?
1: Um, a couple of things stood out for me. Um, she mentioned that she's um, uh, she had majored in philosophy um, at the university. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so you'll see, a, a, I noticed that a motif that we see here and throughout the chapters that we've read so far um, references to philosophers and to different um, ideas of philosophy, which I think is pretty important, because I think this book is meant to be kind of a, a philosophical endeavor for the the author, Matt Haig. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the cat's name was Voltaire. So, right? Volts, Voltaire.
0: Right. Yeah. A nice illusion, though. Mm -hmm. I think maybe it's because when books like this aren't written in any with any notable jump off the page style, it ends up feeling kind of blog posty. And I feel like that's one of the many things that just feel like. I don't know. I mean, of course, we could read into it, right? We could dig into some of Voltaire's famous works and kind of cross-analyze, cross, cross analyze, try and synthesize these things. I just don't know if the book really demands all that. It, it does yeah. feel kind of blog posty. I had a couple of thoughts. Let me see if I can coalesce them quickly. Uh, yeah, it just doesn't... I don't know. It was charming, I guess. I thought it was like a charming reference, but sometimes there have been references where I think maybe it's time to dig in, but then the book doesn't really invite me to... Because it kind of just wants to explain and move to the next thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, I feel the same way. Um, the other thing that I noticed is on page nine, there was actually a metaphor about coal that jumped mm-hmm. out at me yeah. because there's not a whole lot of uh, time that Haig takes in this novel yeah. to really like delve into like descriptions or a whole lot of like I want to say like. Dialistic endeavors in like compared to other novels that we've read before. Yeah. So yeah. on page nine, it says um, she's talking about swimming. So what happened? She gave the short version. It was a lot of pressure. Pressure makes us, though, you start off as coal and the pressure makes you a diamond. She didn't correct his di- uh, knowledge of diamonds. She didn't tell him that while coal and diamonds are both carbon, coal is too impure to be able, under whatever pressure, to become a diamond. According to science, you start off as coal and you end up as coal. Maybe that was a real-life lesson. She smoothed a stray strand of her coal-black hair up towards her ponytail. So I like that it the the coal metaphor is like... Uh, it starts off with like the, the cliché... Of the coal, mm-hmm. oh, pressure yeah. makes you. But then he like explains why that's incorrect. But then also compares her hair to a lump of coal. So I thought that was nice, clever, and and stylistically, I I was like, oh, well, maybe that's something that he does quite often. But actually, I don't think that he actually does in this novel that often. But I just thought that, yeah. that was a nice. A nice touch there. It's
0: it's a quick turnaround, but I think it's effective, and it, it does two things at once. It both evokes this kind of, like, dirty image, this cold, black kind of, mm-hmm. it's all over you, you can't get it off you, kind of a disgusted with herself feeling. And it also yeah. emphasizes that her character is pretty smart, but just has never been able to connect that to her life or make it work for her because it's she you know she knows things and is intelligent and has you know insights about stuff <laughs> but that you right. know, that doesn't mean her life has gone well or something that or that right. things have be, become meaningful in her life so i think it kind of accomplishes those things at the same time because um, mm-hmm. as we'll spoil pretty quickly coming up in the later sections the book is i mean i think it's headed for uh, if i had to guess a pretty Kind of broad or maybe cliched ending, it's obviously a prediction at this mm-hmm. point, but it but it does want to show i don't know some difficulties along the way or something. It's not exactly. Utopian, but we'll get to the premise, I guess, in a second. I think a page twenty-one in terms of an encapsulation of style, there, there's a very list-like, blog-like nature. As I mentioned to this style, it's it's pretty brisk and to the point. And I think sometimes it works. Sometimes it's not it's not interesting, but it's there. You know, it's like this is fine. It's he's pursuing an idea. You know, he's got a pretty big capital I idea in this book, and I think it's okay to pursue those without. An Interest maybe in style, but uh, just some quotes from 21 This is when her depression is really setting in um, in a serious way because I think one thing that the Lister blog style is good at is sort of Maybe not analyzing deeply, but at least making aware Kind of how these things can go or how the symptoms of these depression things so she's on this page There's paragraphs like, She went on Instagram and saw everyone had worked out how to live except her. She posted a rambling update on Facebook, which she didn't even really use anymore. Two hours before she decided to die, she opened a bottle of wine. Old philosophy textbook looked down at her. Ghost furnishings from her university days when life still had possibility. A yucca plant and three tiny squat potted cacti. She imagined being a non-sentient life form sitting in a pot all day was probably an easier existence. Then there's some she doesn't play piano anymore and then afterwards it says after the wine a realization hit her with total clarity she wasn't made for this life every move had been a mistake every decision a disaster every day a retreat from who she imagined she'd be and then she has nothing Uh, and then her her tablets for her depression it says at the bottom the tablets weren't working her um, tablets for depression were working so it's I mean, yeah, none of it's particularly, doesn't evoke emotion in in me, I guess. I have a sympathy for the whole, kind of the entity of the scene or something, but it's, so I think in a sense, it's kind of just matter of fact, but at the same time, you're like, okay, there's, you know, some subtleties about social media and how kind of the alcoholism too can creep in at times. Um, I thought that was kind of well done or that 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 can be sort of a, I don't know, in in what's an opposite of an inhibitor an encourager (laughs) of the of the symptoms you already have amplifier so i think yeah a moment like that i think is emblematic of the i guess the depth that we'll we'll get here with character moments not that there won't be more maybe complex ones later but that's yeah i thought that scene of, of them all set up what to expect from this book uh
1: so yeah the i i thought that the listing of, um, the depression stuff was, um, interesting in that there's actually, like, quite a bit of description compared to some of these other, when she starts going into, you know, the other books and stuff like that, we don't get as much description, but he really takes the time to, to really, um give us an idea like like a some imagery about about her actual depression depressive state anyway
0: yeah and i think it is a bit of a first 25 pages on depression hyperspeed like it, it, it's really sprinting through I mean you could almost read the day as kind of an absurdist almost kind of day because of how quickly and horribly everything goes in one day and sure there are days like that in life but not quite like this <laughs> not to, to maybe such an amped up degree though you know like we mentioned some of the things are lingering from her past but yeah it does and there's a reason for this is because we're about to live her life just non chronologically <laughs> that's why it sprints through this because we are going to see all these scenes or at least kind of see them it's just that we're not going to do them in order so that's kind of the premise of the book which you know i think given how long it takes or how quickly it gets into the premise i'm not really mad at it it did feel maybe too much of a clip but you know it's you're about to get to the kind of crux of it you you can jump into part two if you're ready go ahead and take us away
1: all right um These chapters, these next chapters, teach us what the Midnight Library is and how it works. Mm -hmm. So Nora overdoses, and instead of ending up in an afterlife, she ends up in this library that acts as a kind of in-between life and death. She meets someone who at least looks like Mrs. Elm, um, who was the librarian that we are introduced to earlier, Um, Mm -hmm. and she explains everything to her. All the books in the library are possible alternative realities. Um, Except the only non-green book in the library, which is her book of regrets. Um, Instead of dying, Nora is offered the ability to live one of these alternative um, realities, either until she feels actually disappointed, in which case she comes back and chooses another reality, or she lives that life until her natural death.
0: Yeah, it kind of settles in. Exactly. It's also critical to explain, oh, you mentioned the librarian, the woman who told her her father had died when she was young. Yeah, Mrs. L. But um, then it, I think another critical premise of this that I was surprised by, and I think as soon as this was revealed, I felt a huge amount of disappointment just out of my own, I always want things to get a little weirder. And as soon as she revealed that the only lives she could go see were ones where she was the same age, same time. At midnight, like she can only live versions that kind of branch from the current. I don't know how to say it, but it's like very, it feels very limited, I I guess. She has to go check in on another 35 year old version of herself at midnight on that same day, just in a different, just with different choices made previous. Um, So I feel like the variation. You know, I'm ready to get weird with it. I don't know if you've seen that new movie. Uh, There's a new movie that came out this year called Everything Everywhere All at Once, which really pushed a... Multiverse, kind of to the to the max almost, in a sense. Really good, fun absurdism. And it was quite heartfelt, too. But anyway, I, did, I think I'm just ready for it to get weirder. And it's like, oh, this book isn't going to get weird. It's just going to be her checking to see the stuff she's upset she didn't do, basically. <laughs> it's kind of like, this could have been a novel in chronological order, and this very light premise is just allowing us to go non-chronologically. Right. You know? Anyway, so... What else happens?
1: Um, We also find out that the Midnight Library doesn't stick around forever. It goes away, and Nora will actually die... Um, in her current life, once she has seriously given up on wanting to live. So, the fact that she goes to the library instead of the afterlife is an indication she wants to live. Um, right. After right. Nora reads the regret book for a bit, Mrs. Elm asks her what her biggest regret is. And after some thought, Nora says that she wishes she had <laughs> stayed with David, the ex fiance. Yes.
0: Yeah, the Book of Regrets. Uh, let me, let's start by analyzing this. Yeah. It's I, I as I just mentioned, I call it kind of restrictive. It's introduced on page thirty four. It's just that once that became the premise, it was it's kind of like you look back at those first twenty pages and you go, Oh, that wasn't um that wasn't so you could blast us off into space. Like, you were boxing a scene in the first 20 pages. Like, that's the stuff we're going to get to see about. It's yeah, like we
1: know exactly the-
0: what realities she's going to be yeah. visiting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we know exactly the things she's going to go try and touch upon. And I'm, I'm excited and open to being surprised in the second half, maybe. But it's going to be pretty literal, pretty clean connections to just remember those things that she was... Depressed about in the first 20, let's check on those. So it is, I mean, I like the inventiveness. We'll get to some of the memories because I do think it allows some emotional exploration, which is kind of cool. But yeah, when that on page 34, when that gets set up, yeah, I. It's just when she gets to this page, a um, couple quotes from it, I'll just read a couple. Uh, there were continual background regrets, which repeated on multiple pages, like, I regret not staying in the labyrinth, my band, because I let down my brother. Um, I regret the time I spent on social media. And then there's bigger ones. I regret not yet having children. Um, I regret not going to Paris to teach English. I regret uh, not finishing the novel I started. And so it's just this battery of, of small to huge regrets. But it then the book doesn't go into a lot of those smaller ones that Or tease it's like no we're gonna We're gonna do the ones that the first 20 pages Mentioned so I I suppose You know Does everyone just read books on how to write a screenplay Now I guess that's good clean screenplay Writing but it doesn't feel Inventive or so it doesn't feel very Alive to me it feels kind of yeah like I Said like bloggy or kind of Checklisty in a sense Were you excited when the When the kind of mechanics were revealed No (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was
1: just like, okay, so this is going to be kind of like almost like a groundhog day in some ways. So. All right. Yeah. Except that.
0: Well, I guess we'll find out. Right. Because that whole premise is so much more intriguing because there's these weird there's the weird idea of you becoming an expert in mundane things and that there's the idea of can a person change if they're kind of almost trapped into changing and i don't i mean i'm sure the book is going to involve her changing uh we'll get to in the next section we'll get to something stylistically that i think's bugging me the most about the book but yeah i don't i don't know did you think it was too heavy-handed the exposition
1: yeah um (laughs) definitely so so, this is, you know... It's effectively, just lore dump. And and I shouldn't have been surprised, I suppose... Um, considering the first... The very first part of the book that we just mentioned... It was very listy and... And everything else, but... <laughs> I don't know. Like... Lore dump doesn't necessarily bother me, but... It's... I just finished reading um, a series, actually... Um, called The Mirror Visitor um, which is a great mm-hmm. great fantasy series and like there was no lore dump and, and what I enjoy about that is that it it was just like these little cool world building tidbits that are like you know dropped in and it's just it doesn't have to be explained you just kind of like oh you see it used rather than being explained and you're like oh that makes sense oh that's cool um so when i experience like lore dump i'm just like oh man like could you not have done something more creative with it than just having your mentor literally explain everything to you (laughs) in Mm -hmm. four -hmm. chapters or whatever it is so but, it all feels a little clean, yeah. well thought out.
0: <laughs> you know, I, I could admire a well-oiled, well-made piece of machinery, but that doesn't have to mean I want to engage with the machinery. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like it, I admire it. I guess it is. As soon as again, she reveals kind of the limitations of the library and the really the, again the whole premise. It I think it just hit me so quickly like oh we really are just going to checklist off the stuff he alluded to yeah like okay I I I don't know I guess I I hear the premise, uh, purgatory library infinite possibility it's like this is not an infinity right. this is a checklist of stuff I mean it's literally a book of lit it's a list you're going through the book of lists of reg- like it yep. just I don't know yeah it, it immediately constricted in on me and I was like eh, this will be this will be fine I think it it also frankly is not even that fantastical, though there is one element. Let's jump to the next section. Did you have anything else on this part of the book?
1: Um, I was just going to point out that I did like how Haig handled the description of, the physical description of the book, uh, the Book of Regrets, Mm -hmm. where it's like, it's very heavy, it's overwhelming, and she's the only one that can open and close it. So the, I mean, that's fairly obvious symbolism there, but the fact that he's using some symbolism i'm like okay so it's not going to be just lists and just sparse like outlines of ideas and stuff so Mm -hmm. i just yeah well his
0: prose fittingly enough is like the library you know pretty minimalistic with some shades of one you know it's like he's doing a couple things pretty well i think stylistically i wouldn't wouldn't call him inventive or bold in that way. It's, it's again, pretty clearly a book of ideas, like a right. blog post that got out of hand and, you know, we were able to kind of spin it in a literary sense, right? Crafted into something, you know, into a fictional narrative. But it does kind of have. I've, again I feel like some of the philosophy illusions And references that have come up Kind of feel that way Nora's mm-hmm. nor an easy enough narrator uh, Or not narrator but main character To funnel that through because she's You know has an education and can refer To those things really briskly mm-hmm. <laughs> And thoughtfully so it's like when when An illusion needs to be used Or when she wants to think about some idea of how to be good Or what, what's life about or Why should I live a certain way She he, she gets that because she, she studied philosophy It's very convenient right. <laughs> for her It (laughs) is convenient, yeah. It's very convenient for her to have uh, the core theme of this book, how should you live your life if you should live it at all. Uh, She happens to have the area of expertise ready to go. (laughs) So (laughs) more or less, you know, she's not a philosopher. But anyway, the uh, next section uh, goes from the three horseshoes to the only way to learn is to live. So she goes into her first other life, multiversal life, I guess we'll call it, or I don't know what we want to call it, (laughs) her (laughs) other current present life in it she and david did manage to get married first of all and they also followed his dream she referenced earlier which was to buy a country pub oh this is in england by the way we should have probably mentioned that there are any country pub dreams in america yeah this is it's taking place in england uh they live outside of london i think or something similar anyway uh, so she's there. She she wakes up in that person's body outside of the pub at midnight or something. It seems relatively fun and well-managed. There's like a trivia night. People are nice to her and, you know, hey, Nora, have a good one or whatever. Um, everything in this, you know, quote-unquote better life begins to sour, though, pretty quickly. So let's run through another kind of checklisty it, it all as the book is structured to you do know, it all comes at her pretty fast David is pretty clearly an alcoholic and is open about it um, it's definitely less charming he's less charming and sweet than she remembered he's more maybe a little more biting in his remarks than he is kind of fun the business is struggling a little like they're having a hard time turning a profit after a couple of years uh, and it seems like the one perk of the job which is unlimited drinking is is not helping anyone in this situation at all I, I doubt it would help many people to, to have that be the perk of your job but whatever um, and perhaps most importantly it's revealed slowly at first then, then all at once that he recently cheated on her and they're trying to recover from that and kind of fix their marriage and so you know they go through that brief argument um after leaving that life behind which she clearly does not want she asks for a simpler one then she wants one in which her cat voltaire was kept indoors which is intriguing she words it very carefully this is kind of one of the first twists of the story at least i read it as one thematic twist um because she wants voltaire to be safe so she's like okay voltaire was killed outside why don't i just wish for a life where i kept him as an indoor cat But it, too, is a tragic life. She pulls a life off the shelf where, at that moment at midnight, she wakes up to find Voltaire dead under the bed which seems cruel at first like why would the librarian do this you could have just picked one where the cat's alive couldn't you but um, it's because she wanted to show Nora that the cat had a cardio condition and was going to die very soon no matter what so the book begins to unveil maybe a thematic thread which is see Nora you're actually pretty good at some stuff you don't have to regret everything you just didn't you didn't have all the information you know it's like you're you're catastrophizing things that aren't your fault you're overblaming yourself you're you know being hyperbolic About your own fault in things, so it's starting. It Mm -hmm. introduces that thematic twist. Um, Where do you want to start here in this section?
1: Um, that's a good question. So, you pointed out that maybe like a thematic uh, strain strain starts here, and yeah, I think Mm -hmm. that it's fairly obvious just from these first two realities that we see that the message in the end is going to be like don't be overwhelmed by your regrets because like or by your choices specifically regretting choices that you make because there's probably like a reason that that happened the way that it did right so she saved herself from what is obviously going to be a a fairly unhappy marriage Um, her cat is dead but not because of something that she did but just because he was a sick cat um, so I think that we'll yeah, see with yeah. each reality, she's going to learn that, oh, I shouldn't feel regret for this scenario, this situation, because whatever. Yeah, and I think
0: the cat moment struck me because it's like, OK, this is it's going to open up its thematic. um what's their own register I guess with you know a mm-hmm. spectrum <laughs> beyond just it could always be worse instead to you you blame yourself for things you shouldn't or it's like don't put so much on yourself life is random life is right. there are unknowns you know there's it's chaotic it's it's unno- It's unforeseeable all that kind of stuff it, who knows so it's kind of a combination which I, I you know I appreciated that I guess it was I thought it was a good moment just because it said uh, showed me the subtleties at least again it's all in the ideas I don't, I don't know if it's in the literary execution or whatever we want to call the kind of totality of style, yeah. but at least in the ideas, I was like, okay, let's see what other plays on, hey, it could be worse. This person has to offer. Mm-hmm. See what other philosophies they can run through. Um, can I? Can I get to my least favorite part of the whole, the whole premise, though? Yeah. Because <laughs> I do have one, and I, yeah, and I'm not sure if it hit you. Uh, one thing I'm really stunned by and I can't believe I have to use the David I call him Dan it is David right
1: Oh yeah I'm pretty it's sure it's David, okay. David yeah well, David or Dan
0: whatever <laughs> it's no it's, it no, no no it's Dan I've got the quote open it's Dan I said oh, David snaps. so my bad it's who cares <laughs> it's the premise uh, but no 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 his name's Dan I can't believe I have to start by defending this guy who you're clearly meant to like kind of Dislike, laugh off as yeah. a a a witty asshole, basically like a guy you would not want to spend your life with. Right. I can't, I can't quite wrap my head around and can't believe that when she's teleported into these other lives, that she has no idea what's going on. Like that. She's not acclimated. I I guess like I have (laughs) my, my thought on this is like this whole premise is flawed because if you're an accumulation of things and if and if life takes little turns that can have profound changes in you, then airdropping her into other lives where she didn't experience the thousands of micro and macro changes to, like, change her mindset. Yeah. Of course all of these are going to seem weird and terrible. Yeah. There's no version of me in another life where if you just copy-pasted me instantaneously where I would be like, this is awesome. I would be confused and scared and, like, annoyed and and like not really sure so it's it's such a weird premise and i I think i guess the one thing i'd say about it is i'm really hoping that that comes up in the second half and maybe like pays off in some way i'm not Mm -hmm. sure how like thematically Mm -hmm. but like the conversation on 56 and 7 with her and dan about the cheating is emblematic of this to me yeah um and it it just kind of makes the whole book make no sense (laughs) to me as well so let's let me run through some quotes and maybe you can we can hash it out So she's talking about—she's catching up, trying to figure out, like, what he's so regretful about. Um, And she says, "'One stupid mistake?' She echoed, "'Okay, two. It was multiplying. Two? I was in a state, you know, the pressure of this place, and I was very drunk. You had sex with someone else, and it doesn't seem you have been seeking much atonement. Seriously, why drag all this up?' He says, "'We've been through this. Remember what the counselor said about focusing on where we want to go rather than where we have been? Do you ever think we we just aren't right from each other?' "'What?' I love you, Dan, and you can be a very kind person, and you were great with my mom. And my, And we used to, I mean, we have great conversations, but do you ever feel like we passed where we were meant to be, that we changed? Do you ever feel lucky to have me? Do you realize how close I was to leaving you two days before the wedding? And then, you know, um, do you know how messed up you would have been if I turned on the wedding? Wow, really? You hold yourself in quite high esteem there, Nora. Shouldn't I? I mean, shouldn't everyone? And then she goes on. Th- this whole thing is, is flawed. The first thing I would say is, you is cheating morally wrong yes can you work it out and should you try the counselor i mean that's up to the couple and the person in the moment what I know for sure is if you weren't in the counseling you shouldn't be able to comment on the counseling yeah <laughs> like maybe it was actually working like why why who's to say it wasn't <laughs> mm-hmm. it's just that you airdrop in this person who knows nothing about what's going on and you expect her to like like or acclimate to this now granted again maybe this Nora is depressed maybe she, but it's like The perspective we get is so wrong and skewed that this whole experiment makes no sense like am i like crazy or overreacting i was like what is happening like what's the point of this book now just so she can like criticize her other selves and see what's but it's what if this other her is genuinely happy the other thing is she says here those other couple quotes again i can't believe i'm coming to this guy's side i'm like the ultimate toxic man but i just (laughs) thought this whole premise was flawed she says, do you ever feel lucky to have me? Do you realize how close I was to leaving you two days before the wedding? What if in this life she wasn't? Yep. Like, she made a, a thousand micro decisions differently. What if her mindset is completely different about their relationship? What mm-hmm. if she thrillingly married in this fur Like, I don't, it's just so strange, I guess. it's. I, I mean, it's presupposing that you have these in, infinite options open to you. It feels really weird and blunt force to take this one version and then go, like, slam it into these other versions. And yep. it's like, how can you even understand if you're saying you're doing the right... I don't know. And then the this will come up later. I'm getting ahead of the scenes. But later when she's at that conference with the speech thing, I mean, at that point, it turns into almost like just direct cruelty or something, the way it's kind of portrayed. Yeah. And maybe that's the point. You know, again, I'm thinking, like, maybe in the back half this will... Some of these will unravel or maybe she'll start to question it and be like, why are you doing this to me? Like, this isn't it's none of it's going to work. It's not me. And maybe that's where we're headed at the end. That that would be, I guess, pretty good. But I I don't know. It's odd because I I think my final thought, because I've been rambling for a while. I feel like you are meant to speed empathize with Nora or like speed. I mean, the book's just so speedy, right? And it hits you with the stuff fast. I feel like it's an exercise in speed empathy. But the premise really cut it at the knees for me where I was like, well, wait, this is why would what's this isn't going to do anything. This is, I don't understand. Like uh, it's the whole thing is just going to be baffling and annoying. And I don't know. What What's your make of all of this? Because it's a it's really is the crux of the whole uh, the whole thing.
1: Yeah, it I was expecting uh, that it would be more of like almost say um, the movie uh, being John Malkovich, where it's more of like. a a passive role that this nora would have in the other lives because of or she would be able to somehow access her previous like the the other nora's previous memories or something yeah the yeah totality of that experience to like to try and see how it would add
0: up differently or something
1: exactly so the the whole um the first one the first reality she chooses i was like wait what she's just she doesn't have any idea of like what her life has been like since, and and it doesn't have to be anything different except for when she does choose, how does she choose to stay with Dan rather than to leave Dan? Cause you know, in her normal life she had decided to leave him. So what was the choice? Why did she choose that? And like, those are all very important decisions that would inform who, who she is as a person at this point, when she enters the other Nora's consciousness, and I was just like, "That's just crazy to me." That's <laughs> like, "I was like, okay, so that just it adds another layer of, I guess, chaos um, mm-hmm. in in all of that." Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I do wonder if, I guess, it's, again, I suppose this is the, not the problem of, because I, I think it's very worthwhile to do this, but kind of the trouble of analyzing something halfway. <laughs> you can't see the full project. You can't see the full thematic goal. But I know, I think these are essential things to dig into because you're right. It did feel super chaotic to me. And I was like, whoa, wait a second. This yeah. is, no, of course, none of these are going to do much except reveal the, I don't, yeah. It's like, if you expect her to change by the end of this or like love life or, Maybe I'm being too cliche, but it's, it, I'm not sure what the goal of this would be. It, it, no matter what, she's not going to be there long enough or isn't going to know enough or be the same person. So, of course, it's all going to seem bad. It's just versions of stuff she already thought was bad or didn't do. So, it's, I don't know. Unless you give her a super utopian outcome or something, I don't know why any of them would seem great in the I I don't know it just feels reductive or, or strange to me I again it's committing to it though so I have to imagine there's some I don't know some kind of pro, uh, project here happening but um, I'll admit that, that surprised me a ton I thought you used John Malkovich perfect analogy I thought it was going to be like Christmas story or Carol what's the Dickens
1: yeah, the, whatever a Chris, the Dickens yeah, is. A Christmas Carol.
0: Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be like that. Like yeah. she can observe like a ghost yeah. and kind of notices the nuances and can analyze herself. Her, I just, I, I can tell by the end of this book, I'm going to be so sick of her internal monologue being like and I guess I had to figure out what's it's like she's like a bad Sherlock Holmes like the narration at parts of this started to drive me nuts yeah so I was like I don't need to know again that she's confused like you've written such a flawed this is so (laughs) flawed this whole premise like I don't need another three sentences of like mediocre Sherlock Holmes yeah really bad like I don't it's I I don't know this whole decision to write it this way v- very much confused me. So yeah, I you know I'm open to it though. I think that it's been brisk enough. But um, well at least I'm glad I'm not totally, you know out of my mind here. No, not at I, all. It, I was really struck by that choice. And I was like, "Whoa, this is super awkward," and I don't even understand the philosophy of this now. And I, in, in and in a just a narrative voice sense, like this is grating. Mm. <laughs> I don't need to. <laughs> I don't need the the uh, boxcar children brain of like oh. trying to figure out her own <laughs> the mysteries of her own life. Um, uh, anyway, that's so yeah, great. Good Love times. that
1: series as a kid.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, here's you get this. But but this in this time, no mysteries will be solved. No <laughs> mysteries of life will be solved. Um, <laughs> shall we move on to the to the next section? Oh, and you know, congrats, Nora, on the cat ownership. I appreciate that. Good to know.
1: That was heartwarming. I was like, okay, yeah, not everything can be your fault. That's true. Um. All right. So then, the next section is from the chapter called "Fire" to that to the tree that is our life, mm-hmm. um, which is a bigger chunk, but. So this one is Nora is in Australia, um, which mm-hmm. where her friend Izzy uh, had moved to. But she finds out yep. that she works at a ferry ticket booth. Um, ferry, as in like boats, not as in <laughs> yeah. Fairies. Yeah. Uh, she lives in an apartment with a roommate. Yeah, <laughs> with a roommate in a college-esque situation, and she's lost her friend Izzy to a car accident. She is, of course, disappointed and returns to the library, where she has a discussion with Mrs. Elm about choosing quote choices but not outcomes. As Nora right. struggles to define success, she settles on trying out her father's definition of success, which is choosing a life in which she did not give up swimming competitively. And in this life, she's a retired Olympian and inspirational speaker. Her brother is her bestie and manager, and her father Mm -hmm. is still alive. But her mother died a very lonely death as a result of her father's affair with Nora's current stepmother. Um, In this life, she's still taking antidepressants, and as she delivers her inspirational speech to a room full of people off the cuff, because she has no idea, um, she begins to verbally hash out her ideas of success and what the root issue is in her life, which she seems to think is that her life is just, quote, rotten.
0: Yeah, she gives the anti-work-hard speech, you know, life is chaos and deterministic and, and, you know, pointless in, in a sense or whatever. No control. It's all random. Very moving.
1: <laughs> yeah, the did, room did, did, was did, very did stick confused. With you? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You don't pay. You don't pay the fifteen thousand pound speaker fee for that kind of pessimism, <laughs> yeah. for that kind of nihil, even even nihilism or something. Yeah. <laughs> but it would, be, you know, make for an entertaining turn. And hey, come on, she's getting that fee. She's getting paid because people will film it on their phones and then they can post it on YouTube, being like, famous speaker has meltdown. And so it's like, you know, you're getting the, you're getting attention anyway. She's getting paid.
1: Yeah, is what exactly. I'm saying. That's mm-hmm. you know
0: the nora whose body she inhabited like a freak poltergeist incident who will suddenly be shocked back into her life have no clue where she is or what's going on Mm -hmm. she'll just have to you know stir turn out of the spiral or whatever yep what a premise again chaotic as hell (laughs) did either of these jump out or at this point did you get a sense of the kind of i don't know the project the themes at play i mean it, it yeah what what jumped out here
1: I was like, well, it's definitely following that idea of each reality that she goes to. She comes away feeling disappointed, and I feel like that's going to be throughout the entire novel. So the next few uh, realities that she visits, she's going to be disappointed. And she comes away with this idea of, I guess my life and my regrets weren't as bad as I had Thought they were so. I think it's. It seems mm-hmm. to me that if I'm predicting it correctly, at the end she's gonna. It's gonna be like. Um. It's a Wonderful Life. Like that movie. Was it? In yeah. The end she's gonna it's be. be like, it's
0: better with you in it. Exactly.
1: She'll be like, my life really yeah. isn't that bad, and I perhaps did make the correct decisions when I did because I'm not married to a cheating butthole, and I'm not, um, mm-hmm. you know, stuck in a. Career that I hate, which would be the inspirational speaking, because they they kept bringing up Portugal, and she assumes that she tried to commit suicide there yeah, um, it 's alluded to but yeah. there 's some
0: kind of yeah, she feels something there, she notices scars, maybe there is a pretty clear reference to it, yeah,
1: there were scars on her wrist, I believe yeah, yeah, yeah. no it yeah, it
0: is clear at this point, and i i, I don 't know, I was enjoying some of the seeing some of the other characters and some of the Jumping around of it, I I did like, but then again, it was like okay. So these are all gonna be. There's no perfect life. It's you gotta have the good and the bad. It's it just. I don't know. It it did feel like a little bit. Maybe not obvious because it is kind of daring, I suppose. But it did feel like I was getting it at this point. It was like okay, there. No, no utopian lives, no perfect worlds, no perfect existence. It's all, she's just got to see that. Um, let's do some librarian talk. Cause there's a couple of quotes here that are quite illuminating. I think where with her role. Cause you could see her almost is kind of cruel at the, at this point. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, sure, surely there's a life devoid of chaos and and maybe not depression i mean that maybe it's genetic and so at that point it's like well maybe that's the, none of those but you could just say like you know give me give me one that's really peaceful and where i why couldn't she just say like give me one that will make it so i never come back to you like <laughs> just <laughs> with contentment i mean i know that's vague i guess but it's like give me just one of contentment but um on 84 here's a couple exchanges that are i think telling uh, Mrs. Elm says, I'm afraid I'm just the librarian. Librarians have knowledge. They guide you to the right books, the right worlds. They find the best places, like soul-enhanced search engines. Exactly. But you also have to know what you like, what to type into the metaphorical search box, and sometimes you have to try a few things before that becomes clear. I haven't got the stamina. I don't think I can do this. The only way to learn is to live. Yes, so you keep saying. So I think that exchange was telling, maybe it, maybe too telling, about how it's like, yep, you got to go through the good or the bad to get to the good. Sometimes you've got to stick with it and keep and be persistent in in this life. You have to accept, you know, conflict and accept failure and and keep pushing and hopefully not hopefully, but and through trial and error, one day the the truth will be revealed. I, I guess in terms of a fantasy book. Premise, or even just kind of a fantastical premise, I don't. I don't hate that it has to be this exploration, trial and error kind of a vibe. Um, I, I don't know if I'm getting much out of the librarian. Then, like, I don't think she's kind of guiding Nora along. She's got a touch of wisdom, I, I suppose. But it's. I also feel like that's a bit shallow. Though, like, I'm not. I'm not getting a lot out of that character, even though her kind of role is laid out there in that quote are you finding her engaging or interesting
1: I find her interesting in in that she seems so that she seems to be like you said almost cruel in some ways um in some of her choices yeah, those first
0: couple of times where you're like, well, couldn't you have given... Again, let's... let's let's. It, I just always feel like with these multiverse stories, you can't ignore the word infinity. Yeah. It's just such a vast word. Like, you gotta... There's gotta be such weirder stuff than this. And also, that means there's gotta be so much more perfect stuff than this. It's just the, what the word infinity means. Right. Like, that's just what it is. Right. <laughs> uh, it, like, so the fact that she's immediately also, again... I feel like the narrative choice exacerbates this because she has no clue what's going on. She's immediately drowning in every life. she has no she's gonna be you know unnerved and feel unmoored and ca- like how can you ever I don't know again, I think that premise is flawed but as accepting that or, or moving past it like she of course she could find her one where she, things have turned out better than all of these. just by mm-hmm. definition that's what infinity means. like right. I don't <laughs> I, so yeah, it does feel kind of cruel to me at first. She could have given her a life where Voltaire was both an indoor cat and still alive straight up heart conditions. Don't have a time bomb on a mid like that's a fact. (laughs) So like she could have done that. Like that's just a a fact of this premise. So again, I kind of, those quotes are illuminating, I think. And I, I did appreciate it. I was like, okay, yep. It's a lot of trial and error and she's going to suffer even in these other existences. But uh, yeah, it's, I wish there was a bit more of her maybe just cause it's, I don't know. It does feel kind of cruel to me, some of it.
1: Yeah, I'm interested to see, because, you know, obviously this isn't the real Mrs. Elm, and she's able Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. read Nora's mind as well. Um, I'm interested to see, like, is she just like, some piece of Nora's mind? Is this all just a piece of Nora's mind? Is it an actual, like, space with some sort of supernatural being that's being represented mm-hmm. by mrs elm's physical appearance like i'm just curious about that yeah, yeah
0: it seems tailored to her own you get a you get a personalized purgatory in this yeah. in this book in this fiction how charming you know how great for everybody involved personalized purgatory <laughs> Yay. yeah Woo-hoo. the least we can hope for i suppose um yeah it did it, it was her clearest moment of characterization i think it was also the moment where she kind of goes offline maybe that was later but that's, li- that's <laughs> there was, in the there next some,
1: section yeah
0: yeah okay i was gonna say there's some oddities to it but yeah it's i, th- I feel like some of my hang-ups with other parts have bled into others because it's she's you know a charming enough little font of wisdom and is challenging nora a bit and it's it's all fine but yeah i was curious if you had a different read on her should we do the last segment then last part
1: sure um i did have a question what did you think of yeah. um the on page 89 uh, mm-hmm. where it's just um the last update that nora had posted before she found herself between life and death and then it says i miss my cat i'm tired
0: there are a couple of interstitials like that too because we yeah. get her suicide note in full as well mm-hmm. and then don't we get some other update yeah uh, uh newspaper clippings that's what it was there were there have been some newspaper clippings right. too to kind of like catch her up in the world she's thrust into <laughs> horribly thrust yep. into mm-hmm. you know at least in my my view um i thought it was okay i don't you know i'm gonna i'm gonna not drag but i'm bringing i'm implicating my mom on the pod today i'm doing it <laughs> I'm, I'm bringing her in she's not on the line but i'm i'm gonna bring her up and i'll know if she listened to this later so did you ever read the twilight
1: books? Yes. I did.
0: So my my <laughs> mom did too, or at least one or two of them. And I remember asking her, because I, I truly, we've read enough enough stuff on this. Amanda, you know I'm open. I think we're both pretty literally open-minded. I don't judge. I'm just curious what people are into. I, I obviously have strong opinions and tastes, but I'm not I'm trying to project that onto others. So I, when I asked her about it, I was sincere, like, oh, what do you like about it? What's it like? And she showed me, she had one of them. She was reading it at the time. And she showed me how in that, I think it's in the first book. The main character, whose name I don't know, the woman the, the or Bella. the girl, I guess, Bella, she's going through a depression because she's, I guess, has like, you know, romantic triangles and issues and school and what a parent's dad issues. And my mom's like, well, look at this. Isn't this incredible? And she like flips to these pages and it's like just months and they're like blank pages. So it's kind of like the author to show her depression reflected in the character, like just put in a bunch of blank pages. Do you remember that? I don't. And I swear I'm not making this up I I guess I could be really misremembering But I remember her showing that to me And she was like, oh, isn't this, you know, kind of inventive or interesting And it's, I have the same reaction here It's like objectively, yes Because I think in my brain I was like, have I ever seen that? I don't know I don't think I've ever seen an author just eat up blank pages To show, you know, the nothingness of that person's life at the time Or whatever But I also don't think it's going to stick with me. I mean, I obviously remembered that, right? I remembered that happening. But it doesn't... It's more clever than it is resonant, and not that cleverness can't be resonant, but that's, I guess, how it hit me, where I was like, okay, yeah, this is... I get this. I think it's a really quick, kind of punchy, interstitial moment, but I don't... Yeah, I I guess it reminded me of that, where it was like, okay, this is... Yeah, that's an interesting formal choice, you know, stylistic... The structural choice, but I don't know. I don't. Know. It didn't like hit me hard. Did it? Did it hit you?
1: It didn't hit me hard either. I appreciated that Haig was trying. He like these shorter bits of like social media mm-hmm. blurbs that he throws in there from Nora's various accounts. Like I appreciate mm-hmm. that he's kind of experimenting with that, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's not. I don't know. It's just something that I was just kind of like, eh, okay, whatever.
0: I kind of liked it yeah overall I would say I liked it too I, I didn't find it got in the way Of anything but I think like uh, Now granted I, I didn't read Twilight I was just shown that But I think it you know it, it struck my mom I think she really appreciated that or thought it was Meaningful or interesting And I, all I could do is kind of shrug And say like yeah that's, that seems You know that's like a interesting Choice or whatever um, Yeah I just and so I feel like I'm. this is hitting me similarly it, yeah, it, it was okay, and I, I like the, the simplicity of it. I thought the – this is a weird thing to say out loud, but I thought the suicide note was kind of well-balanced or, like, it had a little hint of urgency to it. It was kind of meandering maybe in a way I thought it felt realistic or something. It, yeah, I remember thinking that was – well written or something kind of embodied her well
1: the end of the note um, she says be kind to one another and at the end of her at the end of her speech her inspirational speech in her Olympian life um, she makes the same comment Mm
0: -hmm. yeah yeah, that's. I wonder if that'll come back for her as some kind of grounding. Maybe that'll be the book that unlocks for her. But the one where I'm kindest to people, or oh, yeah. <laughs> the one where people are kindest to me, or the one where the world is kind. To, or who knows how she'll phrase it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad you brought that up too. It's yeah, interesting stylistic choice. I wonder if we'll see because there there are really brisk chapters in this book. He yeah, he's clearly. He uses that as a tool to kind of push and pull on, on the reader. So I wonder if he'll do a few more of those. Um, let's wrap up the section we've read. So this is from System Error to Expectation. Those are the chapter names. Let's get into these. <clears throat> so Nora has another memory this time or another life. Not memory. It's a, it's a multidimensional life, <laughs> multiversal life. Um, but first she, she gets back to Mrs. Elm. And this is when she bugs out. Okay, I've got it in the summary here. I was like, at some point she kind of bugs out and yeah. goes offline. Yeah. Uh, she, Mrs. Elma, is non-responsive and takes a while before she begins communicating with Nora again. And so she tells Nora that is a sign that she may be dying in her actual, like, original life or timeline. Um, so that's kind of a concerning thing. Obviously, Haig uh, is planting that as a, a bit of a warning. We'll see how many more lives she can go explore. This time she chooses a life where she becomes an academic researcher focused on glaciers. You know, she wants to save the planet. And be an eco eco warrior, fight climate change and all of that. That's what she wanted to study, and she never ended up doing that, so she wants to see that life. She awakens then in a frozen environment that is a bit less friendly than she'd hoped or envisioned for herself. Uh it's freezing cold. She's got a gun for bears. Uh, she's quite hungover from drinking vodka with some I think they're are they mostly like Norse and American? i d I didn't get the well anyway. Yeah, she's in she's in a is it Oh, let's see names. Svarlbard? Svarlbad? Svel-
1: Svelbird? Svelbard. Svelbard?
0: S- 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 Didn't Svelbard. we read about that in Field Notes from a Catastrophe? I think we did. I think that's the same place. Oh, funny. I, I, I thought I about really that think book it is. too while
1: we were reading this section.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, she's doing it. She's a researcher exploring and studying glaciers and how fast global warming is coming and etc cetera. Um, she is assigned, though, that day. And again, she has to tease this out like really bad Sherlock Holmes because this book has chosen such a weird choice yeah. and we get many pages of her just like <laughs> poking around like exp- experimenting. Anyway, she's assigned to watch for polar bears that day. That's her duty and is given the requisite equipment for that, which is flare gun to warn the others, a pot and ladle to scare the bear and a gun in case, you know, all those things fail to scare it off. Of course, then, she immediately needs them. It's Chekhov's gun, Chekhov's ladle, and she immediately has to kind of fight off or scarf a bear uh, while shouting for Mrs. Elp to end it, you know, like, get me out of the simulation. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, though, she doesn't get pulled out, which means she must be liking it, right? That's kind of the premise we've been shown, right. is that if she was really disappointed in this life, she would get sucked out of it, but even when the bear is bearing down, she does not get pulled out. Um, she survives, of course, and the bear do not Do you remember why I get scared? I think because she, she's yelling. Either way, it doesn't matter. Because of the, ladle,
1: the pot and ladle, yeah.
0: Got it. Okay, yeah. yeah. She gets spooked out and then she's she's kind of in shock later and they take her back to a town and they have a nice warm meal together. She eats a non-moose food or whatever the other <laughs> elk elk or moose food uh, with her co-workers, quote unquote. Uh, and here we are, Amanda. We truly have chosen, we don't always do this because we split the books in half. We have chosen the ultimate plot twist to To kick out on because the last thing we learn, yeah, the last thing we learn in this book is that one of the researchers there figures out that she is pretending to live this life and has no clue what's going on uh, because he is doing it too. So Hugo, another researcher there, is also doing this exploration of his other lives. Like he is clearly living in this purgatory as well and has jumped into his version of his body. And so they are they are alike. He kind of teases that out and tells her that. And that's where we're ending. So it's kind of a perfect cliffhanger ending. I will say that that did get me. That hooked me again. I think it was the perfect time. Um, I don't think I would have enjoyed very much three different memories of things we'd already been told about for the rest of this book, and then, like, you know, an ending about what happens to her life. So I think this... I wouldn't say saved the book for me, because I've been enjoying it okay. It's been fine, a fine read. But I will say this has perked me up hugely for the second half.
1: Same. Very much the same. as it's, it's... Yeah. I think that it was necessary at this point to have some kind of drama yeah. where, because everything else has been kind of predictable in a lot of ways, where we we know how these alternative realities are going to end. And so mm-hmm. introducing mm-hmm. this makes it oh okay so there there might be something going on that's going to be different in the the latter half of the book.
0: Yeah, or maybe I and it does, it was the thing that at least put my well established on this podcast at this point <laughs> annoyance at the structure of like her not ac- you know her just being thrown in cold mm-hmm. it it at least intrigued me in that sense because I was like oh now that these two people who know that's happening to each other maybe they can what are they meant to like forge some connection are they going to try and help each other i mean just the premise of her staying in this life, it makes no sense. She'd be found out immediately. Right. She's can't last for much longer without being are sending her back to the States being like, what is good. You have had like permanent amnesia. (laughs) You, you have done literally 20 years of academic learning and now it's all gone from your brain. Like the rest of her life, if she were to stay in this life would be so depressing. She'd be just shamed out of academia and would have no recourse like (laughs) to catch up on 20 years of brain development or what, you know, um, so but but this intrigues me hugely i think yeah i i was appreciative of this twist for sure
1: that's a good point that you bring up about like how the person in this current life is going to like recover from that i was thinking the same thing about um the instructional uh the inspirational speaker and also the the nora that ends up with dan like She's, like, destroying these people's lives as she's entering them. How do <laughs> yeah. they recover from yeah. that? Like, is it, like, what... Uh, <sighs> <is> she... <laughs> yeah,
0: I, the, the morals of it, uh, the ethical implications are big. I, I don't know. It, it is playground-esque. Like, I don't think we're meant to think those are real people. They're just shells for her to quickly explore. <laughs> I mean, God, but we're told they're so. not, though. The <laughs> the other odd thing, and I think this, this could be us under-reading it a touch. Well, there's two things here. Okay, let me say this. I think early in the book, when she's in the library, Mrs. Elm does say, if that's the life you love— you'll slowly kind of fade and fit into it like you'll meld together right i think do you remember her saying something like that i don't want to go pull the because i didn't i forgot what page
1: so yeah, it's like yeah
0: i think my criticism there was overblown i think if she were to like end up loving the academic one in like a couple days every all that stuff would come back to her and she'd be like blended i think mm-hmm. here's the issue though That doesn't negate the premise of being thrown in cold and having the whole thing be absurd, like right away. (laughs) So it's like, I get that the book is trying to ease us into this idea of, it's not going to be cruel. She's not going to be kicked out of her 20-year act. Like, she's going to be fine if she chooses this life. But it's still like, in terms of just a page-to-page, you got to live these over and over. I just think the narrative voice became annoying to me. Like, I don't like having to do that every time little mini detective right. <laughs> so yeah yeah, yeah kind of strange shall we put some pros to the to the test here because we do get a moment of serious external drama here uh, man versus nature I believe would be the sixth grade way to say it Amanda yeah do you want to <laughs> analyze how how this author writes a tr- scene of violence and chaos um,
1: and threat yeah let let's analyze it
0: well on 131. We are given the bear attack. Uh, we also get a one pager, another kind of clippy, quick hitting style choice of the chapter. A moment of extreme crisis in the middle of nowhere. Oh fuck! Whispered Nor into the cold. That's a one page chapter. So you know something he's come to rely on. Not bad. I don't hate that. It's it's the twilight feeling of like ah, you know, like oh okay, that's a you know organizational option for you. Here's mm-hmm. Yeah I think a lot is revealed In this scene Now granted It fits the tone The pace The syntactic Kind of flow Of the rest of the book But here are the things That in this scene That Hague falls back on Immediately repetition Boom You want drama I'm gonna repeat a lot of stuff I'm gonna repeat the word fuck 30 times on this page She's gonna yell the word bear A bunch yep. On this page So okay We, we got that going for us yep. Let's get the repetition in That it heightens <laughs> things Okay yeah, check, check one Check two All caps Go, going with caps. It's dramatic. She's screaming. Let's get the caps going. Let's get the caps going. So that's check checklist two. Okay. We, now we know there's drama. Three on 132. One word sentences. Also repeated, but we already hit that stylistic component. Loves a one word sentence. I'm not scared. I'm not scared. He. It even says a fast staccato bang, bang, bang in her heart. I'm not scared. I'm not scared. I'm not, not going to read them all. So we've got what? We've got the one word sentences. We've got the repetition. We've got the, the all caps like I don't know. I mean, the the choices are here. Do you think the scene
1: was interesting or memorable? Um, I I remember it simply because there's like I I knew what he was going for as far as like the bear, but as far as like an emotional draw or even like um, evoking any emotion in me, no. Uh, it's very not at all. <laughs> it's very corporate mantra. And the it's bear very, too, like, was not even. Yeah. Yeah, it's just
0: very, to use a criticism from within the, from within the work itself, it's it's very corporate paid motivational speakery to me, and a word I'll come back to at this point it may not even have meaning, but it feels bloggy to me, like just kind of, yeah, here's a self help book type of thing translated into what if a self-help author wrote fiction once, <laughs> um, which also I think is factually incorrect. Yeah. I think this person, I think Haig has written a lot of fiction. Uh, this, this is the first book of his I've read. So there's that. But yeah, the, I it the style of this did not, it, it felt, again, either paint, I don't know what kind of crude... Critical metaphor I'm looking for like paint by numbers or bloggy or like a corporate retreat speaker about self-help motivation or something, but it it didn't I I I don't know I I read the scene and then I think back to all the authors who write so well about nature like. Oh God, like Hawthorne or like uh, Melville or like, I don't, I don't want to put him against like the American canon, but even contemporary Mm -hmm. writers like, like Jeff Vandermeer, he's like a sci-fi writer who writes a lot about like nature and the spooky weird, it's just kind of like, I, yeah, we've got this classical situation, this almost in a sense, this archetypal conflict ready to go, but the writing just is what it is. It's, it's a clip, it's simple. It does some things differently here for sure that I think are easy enough to process and everything. But in me, it stirred nothing. I guess is what I'll say.
1: Uh, same here. I, <laughs> I think that there's uh, you mentioned the stylistic aspects, but it wasn't anything that was profound to me. And the the repetitiveness is actually something that um, I found didn't work for me on so many levels. And that's, that was one of my please continues and make it stops uh, that I'll be talking about later. But yeah, the, for some, for a scene where you, you feel like this could be something where you could really delve into um, being more um, playful almost with certain stylistic element elements, like playing more with setting or having the, the bear, Uh, be more menacing in a lot of ways right or to create a more menacing atmosphere and and Haig just really didn't do that Um, but perhaps that's just another reflection of of Nora as as a person like it's meant to be super hyper focused on her so I don't know it was it didn't I think it was a missed opportunity in some ways for Haig to really show showcase his writing skills
0: Yeah, I think 130 pages in, I mean... It, there's not going to be a leap by then <laughs> in terms of the writing and the style. It, it's going to be what it is. To to put it like really simply at that point. But I agree. I just I, I just thought of all the moments because we've talked a lot about structure and certain character things so far, and uh, we really haven't dug too much into the style. I just thought that was the moment to bring it up because it, it's clear too that he has to shift some things there and wants to amp up kind of the the immediacy of it, the drama. And it's just kind of like, well, there's not the tools you have in your toolkit just aren't. They're it's they're they're those are toy like Fisher Price tools. <laughs> it's not like <laughs> nice. that's not a hammer. That's like a Fisher Price hammer. That's <laughs> not <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, and it, it does feel comparing him to the authors I did just a minute ago feels maybe arbitrary or something. But it just if you want to write about the intensity the uh, of nature, it, it's just I don't know. It's tough, I guess. Um, yeah. Anything else from this section you want to discuss?
1: So this section, um, the expectation chapter, which is the final chapter that we read, it was um, just her analyzing herself, I suppose, and it's it's meant to be the philosophical um, idea that uh, Haig is kind of exploring with her character in a lot of ways, but... Pre- Before this, before this chapter, like there were some philosophical thoughts and philosophical ideas being explored, but they were integrated into the story itself. And and that was part of her inner narrative overall. And then we get this chapter after Hugo reveals that he's also like in the same situation as Nora. Yeah. And then we just get this rando philosophical thought where Nora and it's not connected to Hugo. Right? No, it's, it's only it's yeah, it's like an interlude. It's accepting
0: herself. Yeah, it's like what she's thinking but not in the moment. It's, right, or maybe it is. It's kind of, I mean, it's interesting though because I like the ideas in it that she's starting to see herself as flawed, and and maybe that's the point of life is we all can be flawed and we get to be, and that like a glacier, it's you know we're an imperfect, craggy thing that's beautiful, or it's not a bad metaphor for that. I, I liked. I it's like I like that moment, but I agree with you. It feels maybe at this point. Do you think he's maybe abusing that structure a bit of like these really quick one-page chapter interludes or something? Is that I guess yeah they're not all working and I, and the flow can be strange to that too when you decide to rely right. on that as a as a writer
1: right yeah it, it yeah. brought me out of the the mystery that was hugo and so it's like hmm. what yeah. <laughs> like
0: we also did choose just a hilarious stopping point perfect i mean really perfect (laughs) so yeah we're truly ending on the cliffhanger and i'm sure i don't know about you but i have not read a page beyond so i have not yet who knows yeah we we usually try and keep these divides pretty pretty pure in a sense okay any other analytical thoughts on the first half before we do our our ending segments nope i'm good Excellent. Yeah, I think we've touched on, yeah, just about everything I, I wanted to. Well, let's uh, move then to our ending segments, as I alluded to. Let's do the list first. So one of our Part 1 Book clubs uh, segments we like to do every time is to make a list. Everyone knows, I mean, the internet is crazy about lists, so we're going to get in on it. A top three list we'll make for the first half of this book. Amanda themed this one. So Amanda, do you want to explain the theming and start us off with number three?
1: Sure. Um, I said top three relatable regrets because this is a book ah. about regrets.
0: <laughs> yeah, literally a book. There's a book in there.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, so my number three choice is um, backing out of The Labyrinths. And The Labyrinths uh, was the name of the band that she was in with her brother and his friend. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I said that that was a relatable regret because I, I associate it with the idea of creative endeavors and how a lot of people are not encouraged to follow through with creative, like their artistic dreams and stuff like that. Um, and, mm-hmm. and the regret of not following through, I think, is is very relatable for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I struggle with as someone who does creative stuff from time to time, the podcast has been a great excuse for me to like do the drawing consistently, something I otherwise probably would not be doing, at least not consistently doing. Right. So that's yeah. good. Or even the podcast, I would say is creative in, in a way. For I agree. Us. But, yeah. yeah, I think, you know, I think it is. But the yeah, it, it, the the thing I struggle with, too. We live in peak accessibility, create... Like, we live in a moment of peak creative accessibility. Like, you can go find great anything at any second in an almost unlimited quantity. (laughs) So it's, like, hard to make stuff when people... When there's so much good stuff that's being made. Because I also... As much as I like to make stuff, I also like to consume things. Like, I can Mm -hmm. sit down and read for a whole afternoon. I can... I'll binge a new TV show. I will go on etsy and look at drawings too like or follow instagram drawing accounts or i'll watch movies and i like it's I, you know i keep up with music I, it's just like you can I, there's just so much of everything it's hard to so it's easy to also become very passive and just want to consume stuff so that's tough mm. i get that my number three uh m- most relatable regrets uh climate change it's our bad whoever's <laughs> listening to this in 2075 or whatever i'll i'm sure sh- well, i might be dead by then who knows who knows the future not me but yeah it's <laughs> Uh, Could we be be doing more direct action? What direct action could I be doing? Who knows? I've cut down my beef consumption. You know, we all were trying to switch to hybrid. You know, it's like we're doing our little our little piecemeal things. But I think that's pretty relatable of being like, well, should I just go do a career about this? Like, is that is that what I should be doing? I've had that thought. I, I feel like I'm not beyond a career pivot being like, should I just go figure out what career I could have in like saving the earth (laughs) um yeah anyway my i will say this my air air ac consumption is reprehensible like it brings shame to my whole family how much ac i pump into my life in the you know we live in a hot climate uh, you and i and so i'm not embarrassed to admit that i also don't use a lot of heat i like to feel like i offset my my energy consumption (laughs) in this life but um yeah i'm not doing the earth any favors with the amount of air conditioning i I use pump into my life
1: same here it's uh god i i absolutely die if i did not have air conditioning like i, I probably well, should yeah. be living up north
0: <laughs> yeah i think yeah no spoilers i think that's where i'm headed <laughs> it's uh, it's tough it's tough <laughs> Just, anyway uh your number two relatable regret
1: my number two is um the death of Volts, the cat um and this is just, like, the death of anybody who's a dependent or a loved one. Anything where you feel like you've let them down in some way. Um, mm-hmm. Especially if they get hurt or sick. Um, which is also, I suppose, yeah. related to her mother um, in the other yeah. life. When her her mother dies from, um, from... Originally, it was from cancer. But then in the other life where her dad lives, it's from, like... Uh, it, it stems from her alcohol consumption, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and um, and she dies like alone. So, right, but you know, that's something that if you end up if as a parent, right, and I like turn my head for one second, and if my daughter gets hurt, I'm like, oh my god, I could have prevented that if only I were paying attention instead f- of chopping you. these vegetables. <laughs> like, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah I damn, that, rest so. of the family's supposed to eat. It's unfair. <laughs> It's unfair. Yeah, no, that's, that is true. I also think that caring for an aging loved one and parent is just such a, I mean, I haven't had to do it yet. Um, and who knows what my role will end up being is my mom ages. Like everyone has different roles and different amounts and who knows, it's also an unknowable thing. But yeah, I feel like that's such a unique burden, but and not in a mm-hmm. bad way. I don't know what, maybe it burdens the wrong word. Thanks. I think that word's only negative, but yeah, a unique I don't know, like thing to give. Not, I don't want to say charity either. It's uh, not finding the right word, but it's responsibility anyway, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's yeah. a unique responsibility to have um, my number two, having a job that you really hate and just won't quit. And I have mm-hmm. nothing else to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> so there's I think that's relatable Uh, yeah I think everybody
1: (laughs) could relate to that Um.
0: yep (laughs) and for your number one Amanda I've got no follow up I (laughs) refuse
1: my number one is um, disappointing the dad Um, oh that was (laughs) yeah well disappointing any authority figure right Um, Mm. I relate specifically with like the idea of disappointing the dad like as you well know, I am terrible at lying, which it makes me terrible at any hidden role games. Um, yeah, and yeah. Part of the reason that I'm so bad at lying is because growing up, I was so terrified of disappointing my dad that I would never lie to him. I wouldn't do, like, I mean, All right, I was okay. talking to a friend of mine the other day, and... They were talking about like skipping classes, and I was like, "Yeah, I, I've only ever skipped class one time, and that was on senior skip day, and I just went home and read a book, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> like just yeah. the fear of disappointment. I, I totally understand.
0: <laughs> I I lived similarly. I think I, I dared, I, I tested that more than you did, but I the times that I would really get in trouble for doing you know things I wasn't, I was causing trouble or breaking the rules, or whatever. I I remember the moments too of of. Yeah, it's more the disappointment that hurts than the punishment. It's the ultimate, you know, punishment yeah. or whatever. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one to an extent. I, that one didn't come top of mind for, I don't know why that did, I didn't think of that one, but that's a really good one, actually. I, and I also, I guess, couldn't have been an Olympic swimmer, so I'm a permanent disappointment for that. <laughs> didn't fulfill my potential as a swimmer. Um, my number one relatable one is a bit roundabout, but I'll try and explain it. So it's the Voltaire death, but not for the reason you said. It's actually for a very different reason. Oh. I just think it's very relatable to hold something against yourself that if you probably looked at the totality of it, you had little to control over or like little to do with, (laughs) Uh, there's a certain Mm -hmm. privilege in that perspective that maybe that's why that chapter stuck with me so much, or I I, maybe I like that one the most for that reason or something, but it is a kind of a critical lesson to learn and who knows, maybe it'll be a lifetime before I accept certain moments like that. But I, yeah, it's, it's weird, because I'm far from absolving, thinking we should absolve ourselves of like things like shame or regret, which I think people should have, but also, there's just too much unknowability and chaos to, to it all, <laughs> that I just, that one, uh, I think the perspective on that yeah. made me kind of nod in agreement, thinking like, oh, okay, I, yes, this is something, I don't know if I've even had a moment like that in my life, but it was the perspective I maybe pr- appreciated the most, so
1: i agree i think that the what the lesson that she came away from that scenario with i think that was the best piece um that we've encountered so far in her scenarios yeah
0: yeah definitely okay with our relatable regrets out of the way let's do our final final ending segment we always end our book club part ones with this and it is please continue make it stop which is kind of just what it sounds like one stylistic thing we want to continue and one that we'd prefer would stop i'll go first i'll I'll do my make it stop first i feel like i've been mostly critical hopefully not too critical as always reasonably so but anyway so I'll, i'll throw mine in there i've already said it a bunch. my biggest issue narratively is that this has really annoying monologuing that is Sherlock Holmes Jr. and I just think that that's so flawed to have that in there (laughs) I just am tired of it I'm tired of those moments I'm tired of her being airdropped in cold and just going through those pages of figuring stuff out and trying to piece it together I just don't think the narrative is best spent in that fashion um, in those moments don't think it's interesting don't think it's fun Um, maybe some of it's been a little humorous I guess which maybe some of the bar stuff but it's not even humorous it's all pretty stern so even that isn't really there i just could do without that i hope that whatever happens in the second half whatever mysteries come up or whatever new multiversal things get worked in i hope it is not like this (laughs) that's my hope
1: how about for yours maybe hugo will teach her how to access certain memories and stuff since he's been doing it too um yeah maybe My make it stop is just the repetitive lines and not, not even the lines that you picked out as far as like the, um, the fuck, 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 fuck when it came to the polar bear. bear. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, if we look at page, hold on a second holding a baby at the same time as trying to open this book <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> um, hashtag girl boss is yeah. that are we should we put that in the description <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if we look at page 63 um, she had the very real sense that mrs. Elm was playing some kind of game with her but she also wanted to see her cat again blah 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 and then four pages later on page 67. She says, Nora sensed Mrs. Elm was playing some kind of a game, but she went along with it. So it's like almost verbatim, the same lines being said mm-hmm. um, or written. And that's not even the only time that that happens. Um, in, uh before she encounters the polar bear, there's another couple of lines with like two or three pages apart that are very, very similar as well. So that i i feel like is not necessarily done purposefully and if it is done purposefully why um and it's it's just indicative to me of, of like not not paying close enough attention to personal style and and kind of driving storyline more so than than developing style so that's i'm what gonna start
0: I, chanting it now kind of Bluggy, right. bloggy bloggy <laughs> yeah. blog it really but yeah just, it's just it's just meant to be frictionless it's ju- yeah it really yeah. is
1: yeah
0: it's a good one my uh, let's do the please continues then try and celebrate we'll end on the positives as we kind of like to most of the time my please continue i i think the hugo introduction is massive yeah. i really Am thrilled about this turn <laughs> um, I, w- I really Thought and maybe this is me thinking Too much ahead in the predictive way But I, I thought the book had settled into Kind of a disappointingly obvious Pattern in like okay we're gonna do yeah. all the things she said in the first twenty pages. There's gonna be goods and bads. She's gonna see that life isn't always great. All that you mm-hmm. know. It's just like I was kind of in this sighing, like oh, uh, okay, like it's I'm, I'm settling. I was settling into the cliche pillows of like uh, I think this is gonna be fine and we'll see. But now, yeah, yeah. let's. I'm ready to ride the ride. Like I, I, my ticket, I repurchased. You know, I'm excited to see what course screws await because I do think this could be a chaotic move and maybe my disappointment in those the kind of cold the cold reset style of this multiverse thing she's doing. Maybe this will shake it up. Maybe it'll introduce more chaos. Maybe that's the point. Maybe I, yeah. So I think this has opened up a lot uh, for me in the second half. That's by far the most obvious to me. Please continue.
1: Yeah. I think that's a great, please continue because it's, uh, it's so refreshing. (laughs) I I was just Mm -hmm. like kind of just rushing along almost in, in my reading before hugo shows up and drops that bombshell so
0: yeah yeah. how about for yours uh
1: my please continue is um the metaphors that we've encountered so far like i mentioned the coal one Hmm. uh, at the beginning but there have been some other ones as well that i've enjoyed like the fish tank when she talks about the fish tank and how like obviously that's meant to be kind of symbolic of her own life or what she sees as her life um and stuff like that i think that it stands out even more so to me because I'm finding generally speaking Haig's style in this novel to be unfulfilling for me. So when I encounter these metaphors and these, um, which are not often <laughs> but when i encounter mm-hmm, the metaphors yeah. i'm just like oh something to celebrate stylistically and i just like really cling to them so yeah, yeah I, I like i like when there's metaphors and i think that it's it's great to give us some more descriptive details um because his descriptions of things are are often very sparse so
0: yeah i think i just need to be Cudgeled with style I just need it more pronounced because I haven't I haven't enjoyed those moments and I was so glad I think you quoted too with the coal hair And I, I forget the other one but they were both Interesting telling like yeah, and I I appreciated them in the moment. Uh, for me, for it to cohere into something that, like, lodges into my brain or that really gets to me or that will stick with me, unfortunately, I just need more of it, and I need it to be a little bit more in my face, for better and worse, I guess. Um, and I feel like of the authors, I'm trying to think back in our, our run on the podcast anyway to, like— Authors who have kind of a light touch but still get under your skin—I feel like Murakami may be in there, um, though I know his style is off-putting to some people as well. But his is also kind of has this—he has this approachability. But the thing is, his stuff is just weirder, which on its face already kind of elevates it a little because it's like a little stranger. And it's a little more unfriendly, I think. Um, and he, yeah, he has some other things he does. Uh, we'd have to take another pot out to, to do that. That episode's still in the feed. But yeah, I was thinking back to like who's been accessible but still has depth or something to kind of dig at. And he came to mind. I'm not sure if anyone else we've covered has come to mind. King, maybe.
1: Uh, Hmm. Yeah. He's so great at setting an atmosphere.
0: I was, well, again, I don't want to rehash old pods, but if you're a new listener, a brief version, when we did our first King episode on those novellas, I'd never read King in my life. I'd purposely avoided him because I don't like horror. So I figured, yeah, I'll go my life without reading Stephen King. It's okay. <laughs> Plenty of other infinite writers to read. I was shocked by how bold he was or how kind of literary, like it's, he really is yeah. trying stuff. I, I you know, mm-hmm. and I'll always admire that. Whether it works or not is a different question, but I, I came way surprised. I, It was way more literary in a sense more traditional more paying attention to certain things ebbs and flows of literary style than I kind of expected I expected it to be kind of schlocky and maybe maybe I don't know cliche simplistic and it really was wasn't really many of those things at least not not in your face so I don't know but this is yeah it's not gripping me the the style of this so we'll hope for the second half any final thoughts on the Midnight Library by Matt Hagg, or at least the first half of it
1: Uh, nope
0: excellent well congratulate uh, your new your young one there on a successful first recording we did it (laughs) we've survived we've endeavored and we've come out the other side Uh, I will have to edit this podcast I think for about nine months before I give birth to the final audio because this will be something really to put together (laughs) I think uh, it will be a fun see and she's excited too anyway um This has been the first book club part for, (laughs) again, the Midnight Library by Matt Hag. If you've listened this far, we appreciate it as always, and we hope you'll join us for part two Uh, next Friday. We always post these on Fridays. If you're listening to this sometime in the future, well, hey, go check the feed. It'll be the next episode up in the feed. Um, As I mentioned at the beginning, we have social media accounts at Facebook and Instagram under the Lightly Literary Podcast, which is just one word. So send us a a follow or give us a follow on there. Um, You can subscribe to our podcast on any podcast platform basically google apple spotify all the big ones were up there so find us there Um, and we appreciate you for listening and as always folks we'll see you between the pages